Well, good to see you. Hanging in there? I, no, I, are you trying to start an argument? <laughs> you talking to me? <laughs> uh, yeah. So they say that the COVID cases are up high again. And uh, uh, one of the things that I, you know, being mostly with uh, my family, you know, we spent, you know, during the season, we've spent more time with family than we probably have a lot of other times. And, and I, I read this last week that divorce is a lot higher right now because some people can't take spending that much time together. Uh, so, but I've noticed that uh, when I get outside of my family, that there's a lot of fear. And uh, there's a lot of, especially people that are, don't have faith. Uh, they're, they're fearful. They're, <laughs> naturally, they're afraid of dying. And Hebrews tells us that God delivers us from the fear of death. That we're held captive to it all of our lives. God wants to release us from, from all kinds of fear. There's all kinds of things, the way that fear can affect us. And God wants to liberate you from fear because he's in control. And he's in charge. And, you, you know, you've got to come to terms with it. The very best thing that can, the very worst thing that can happen to you is that you get to spend eternity with God. I mean, you know, that's the worst. You get to graduate. So some of you said, well, I'm not ready for that. Uh, so, so we've been talking about the kingdom of God, and we're going to talk about the kingdom of God for maybe another week or two. Uh, we could talk about the kingdom of God for a long, long time. And uh, so today we're going to talk about how, you know, how, how we live, how this manifests. We've talked about, we talked the last couple of weeks about how the early church, the early church by living the kingdom changed their world, but they weren't trying to change the world. They didn't even have any concept that they would be able to change the world. They, they weren't thinking, you know, we're going to live this way and we're going to do this and it's going to it's going to change Western civilization for the next 2,000 years. They, they weren't thinking that way. All, all they were trying to do is follow Jesus. And, and the result, the resulting change, which were very slow in coming, very progressive, that they probably didn't see coming at all. They were just trying to follow Jesus. And one generation would pass away, and the next generation would come along. They're just trying to follow Jesus. Uh, five things we talked about, I'm, you know, since I know you remember everything that I say, uh, <laughs> I'm going to repeat what I said last week. Very briefly, Lord willing. They were socially, ethnically, and socially, socioeconomically diverse. Male, female, Jew, this ecclesia, this called out group, this group, the, the New Testament church was unlike any group that it had ever, ever gathered because they were people of all tongue, tribe, people, and nation, all kinds of different people. They came together, level at the foot of cross, masters and slaves came together to worship God in a community. And they laid their, this is crazy, they laid their life on the line for the opportunity to do what you're doing today. They, they literally, to gather together and sing a couple of songs together and 
somebody share the word of God together and for them, them, them to commit themselves to following Christ, to commit themselves to not cheat in the marketplace, to commit, commit themselves to sexual purity, to commit themselves to, to tell the truth. To, in other words, to get them, commit themselves to follow Christ. And that caused them, they were, they were because of that, we know that they were martyred just for gathering together in the name of Jesus. And they wouldn't say that Caesar was Lord. They would only say Jesus is Lord. So they laid their life on the line. So really, uh, our following Jesus at this season in life is relatively not, it's relatively not costly. It's going to get more costly. I hope you recognize that. They cared about the poor and the marginalized. Uh, we should care about the poor and the marginalized uh, in all walks of life for whatever reason. We should care. We, our hearts should burn. We should want justice for everyone. We should want uh, people to be loved and taken care of. Uh, we saw that they were not retaliatory. They didn't seek revenge when family members and friends were killed for their faith. And uh, this was so opposite of the honor culture of Rome. Rome was based on an honor-shame culture, so if something happened to your family, you had to get revenge for your family. Uh, you had, and if you didn't, then you, you would be dishonored because you were not following what you should do. And so in, instead, they're exactly opposite. They forgave their oppressors and would pray and forgive their oppressors as they were being killed. Uh, they were strongly and practically, practically against abortion and infanticide. Almost. So they were, they, they just, they worked at, they tried to save kids that were discarded by the culture. Uh, they couldn't save all, but they saved a lot of children through this time. Uh, and so, you know, they, they were practically that way. So we have to think, a lot of times we have to think about being more practical. Because a lot of times we're good at the, the ideas behind it. We're, we're good at the thought behind it. But we're not good at the action. Thank you. Very, Greg finally said, yep, you know, I'll take that. But, and that's true because we struggle with that. We're good, at, we're good at the principle. We're good at what we think ought to be done. But often there's a gap between what ought to be done and what we actually do. And we all struggle with that. That's not, it's not just unique to you. It's unique or me. We all struggle with that. But they, so they had, they discovered practical ways to help. So how can we practically help with abortion? Well, we can support uh, homes that help young mothers that are trying to have made a decision not to abort the baby. We can, we can support uh, crisis pregnancy centers that, that have sonogram machines where they can show them a sonogram of their of their child. Uh, there's, there are practical ways where we can be involved. Uh, they revolutionized the sex ethic because Rome didn't really have any ethics around sex whatsoever. Uh, sex was uh, way out there. Uh, our culture would be conservative uh, to the Romans. Do you think our culture is conservative today? No. But so it lets you know that the Romans were pretty far out there. Uh, but the early church began to practice and believe practically that sex, according to what Jesus has said, Jesus quoted Genesis 
So Jesus quoted Genesis that sex was only supposed to be between a man and a woman. No children, no mistresses, no prostitutes. A man and a woman that have been married. That's, I mean, that was, that's, that's Jesus' standard. Now, they, they didn't have any power to enforce that on the culture. They weren't, they, they weren't standing on the street corners saying, hey, y'all need to cut this out. Because <laughs> what we would consider illicit sexual activity was everywhere in Rome and in, your, in, in all of the Roman Empire. So they, they weren't, they didn't have any power to enforce it upon a Roman culture. They just committed to it themselves. And in committing to it themselves, it eventually had an impact on the Roman culture. The, the world will always be in rebellion to the Word of God. It's the very nature of the world system. The world system is against God. The world order is, is in allegiance to the kingdoms of darkness. The, the world order, the world culture is always going to be against the, the kingdom of God. But the church needs to be the church. We are the church. The church is not an organization. The church is not a building. The church is the ecclesia, the, the, the called out, the assembly of God's people, the called out people of God that make up the body of Christ. And we, we need to be the church. And as the, as the body of Christ, we are in submission to the head. And we need to do that. We need to, we need to live it more than we need to preach it. They didn't have really an opportunity to preach it. Understand that? See, a lot of times we, we're, we've got the cart before the horse because we're trying to get the culture to change to our image of what we think Christianity should look like, and yet we're not even giving them an image of what it should look like. So we're trying to get people to change, but yet they don't have any power to change. The, the message isn't stop sexual sin. The message for us to the world is come to Jesus. Then they came to Jesus. When they came to Jesus, here's what they said. Hey, have you come to Jesus? Stop this sexual sin. That's what Paul is talking about. He's talking to, to Christian believers in Corinthians. He's saying, don't you know, you don't want to join your body to a prostitute. He's not, he's not preaching this on the corner of Corinth because they can't receive it. We who have received the truth need to receive the truth. All right, that's enough of that. So that's review from last week. So then they asked Jesus, when is the kingdom of God coming? It's kind of a, we always, we're kind of looking for it. We always think, you know, when's the kingdom of God coming? Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, the kingdom is, of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Or a way of saying that, the kingdom of God is within you. So sometimes when we think about the kingdom of God, we're thinking about a place. 
because it's the rule and reign of God. But where, where does God rule and reign? He rules and reigns in us. So the kingdom of God is the rule of reign in, of God in our lives. God reigns. See, this, this incredible thing happened when Jesus came. Because in the Old Testament, they started with the tabernacle that they built in the wilderness. And in the tabernacle, they had all the, all the images of, the, you know, they had the altar and the holy of holies where they could offer sacrifices. And then later Solomon built a really magnificent temple that he was able to put all of that stuff in. And that temple was destroyed and they built another temple. But Jesus, Jesus came and did something radical. He took the temple away from being a place of mortar and stone. And he said, you are the temple of God. He made us the temple. No longer of brick and stone and mortar, no of, of goat skins assembled in the wilderness. No, no, we are the temple of God. God changed that. So, uh, so when is the kingdom of God coming? The kingdom of God is coming because the kingdom of God has come into us. We have received the kingdom. Nor will they say, look, it, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is not a place, but a people. Revelation 5, 9 says this. I, I love this. You know, we get a picture of heaven. Heaven is a place where they sing. Heaven is a music place. Heaven is a loud place. It says they sing with a loud voice. So that's just the way heaven is. I, man, I, I just, just week after week, just week after week, I appreciate our worship team. Blesses me. I'm, I'm so appreciate Alex and Landon, their, their talents and gifts. Uh, I appreciate Zach on the drums. I, 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 get a, I get a kick. That's good, isn't it? I get a kick out of watching Zach because he's all in. He's all in. And I think that's what, and Jeremy, you know, on the guitar. I love hearing Jeremy. And, and, I, and, and Greg on the bass. Uh, there's just the way Greg, he just, he enjoys it. You know, he's worshiping the Lord as he plays the bass. It's not just a boom, boom, boom. You know, he's, he's. He does a fantastic, that made that, I really oversimplified that, didn't I? You know, that's all you have to do is pay for it. Boom, 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 boom. That's it. Two notes. Dun, dun. Really, let's get wild. Three. Dun, dun. And so, uh, but Greg is so, so, it just is hard. It's so visible. I just, I love that. We're so, we're so blessed. And just today having Jim sing, Jim, Jim lead a song today who led our worship for many years uh, was such, such a blessing. We're so blessed. We're so blessed. And heaven, heaven is a place of music. So they sang a new song. You know, what, what is it about a new song? We like, we like new songs. The church, the church, when God is moving among the church, they're always singing new songs. Doesn't mean that the old songs aren't good. But there's something that happens when God does something in your life the, the worship that is tied to that time 
becomes powerful to you. You probably remember the songs they were singing when you came to Christ. And they're still, they still touch you. And God uses that. He uses that in our life. So in heaven, they're singing a new song, and they're singing, Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You made them to be a kingdom. God made, through the blood of Jesus Christ, Jesus has made us to be kingdom, a kingdom, and priest to our God. You didn't know you'd entered the priesthood, but you did. What does a priest do? The role of a priest is he takes the message of God and delivers it to the people. So God's made you a priest. God's called you into the priesthood. He's called you to take the message, the good news of Jesus Christ, and deliver it to the people. Represent God to the people. And they will reign on the earth. That's one of the things that, you know, we're going to reign with Jesus on the earth. So the kingdom of God is coming. When is it coming? Well, it's here. And where is it? It's in you. It's in me. The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom where the rich don't receive preferential treatment and the poor are not ignored or devalued and all are precious to God. Matthew 19, 16. And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? Like, is there, is there like a certain, like, is there a certain particular thing that I could do? A thing, a thing. You know, not lots of things, not a life thing. Is there an a thing? Well, wouldn't we love that? Is there an a thing that I can do and just make it to heaven? Uh, <laughs> that I can obtain eternal life. Is there, you know, is there that one thing? And he said to him, why are you asking, why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. (laughs) I love this response. And then he said to him, which ones? (laughs) You know, which the normal answer is like, you know, most of them, And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, you shall love your neighbors yourself, which is only six of the ten. So he's like giving him a discount, you know, he's like giving him an easy way out. And he says, all these things, he said, well, oh, well, if it's just that, if it's just, if it's just that, keeping the Ten Commandments, surely I've done that. All these things I have kept. Let's have a show of hands. How many of you have kept the Ten Commandments since your birth? Right? Because the minute you raise your hand, you just broke. I shall not bear false witness. <laughs> so you're disqualified. So, oh, well, okay, I did lie when I said that. Uh, <laughs> so all these I've kept, what am I still lacking? So here's somebody... He recognizes that something is missing from his life. He's saying, yeah, yeah, I've been trying to do good. I've been trying to do, you know, I've been trying to keep the, you know, the Jewish stuff. I'm a Jew. I'm trying to keep the Jewish stuff. He says, yeah, but, but, you know, what, what, 
I feel still like I'm missing something. Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, uh, and the word complete is teleos. Teleos is the word that Jesus used on the cross when he said it is finished. It is teleos. So he's saying, oh, you, well, you want, you want to be complete? You want to be, you, you want to be perfect? You want to, you want to reach the epitome? He said, go and sell your possessions to give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. When the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Now, you see, one of the commandments is uh, put God first. So Jesus says to him, okay, if you really want to be complete, you really need to do that big thing that you're supposed to do. Just put God first in your life. And he was like, ooh. And he went away grieving because he was unwilling to do the thing that was going to complete his life. He was willing to continue incomplete so that he could keep his stuff. So what was his God? His stuff. Money. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were astonished and said, then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, with people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Why is it hard for a rich person to go to heaven? Well, rich people are by definition self-sufficient. Right? Because they have wealth, they don't have to depend upon other people. So then, since they don't have to depend on anyone, they don't have to depend on God either. So it's easy for them because they can be self-sufficient. Their resources also give them a kind of independence. I mean, if you were wealthy in Jesus' day, it gave you a sense that, you know, you could kind of buy your way out of trouble. Oh, well, you can still do that. So, uh, so you know, having money had its benefits. Uh, rich people want and expect preferential treatment. And let me just throw this out there. You're rich. If you earn, if your family earns more than $63,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of the world's earners. Think about that. And you wonder why you're so broke. Yet you're in the top 1%. Think about how rich you are. You have a working toilet that takes waste away from your neighborhood and puts it in a safe place where it can be treated and dealt with. You know how that puts you in a minority in the world? You have access to clean water. You're not having to walk to a well. You're not having to walk to an old dirty river and pull whatever you can get out of it. You're able to, you're able to go to a faucet and turn it on. You have 
electricity. I mean, even Solomon, in all of his glory, <laughs> would have longed to have had electricity. We don't, you just, we don't think of it in, in retrospect because we, we live surrounded by people that are wealthier than us. So we think, since I'm not as wealthy as them, I'm not wealthy. But, you know, as we are in this season, we begin to get into fall and Thanksgiving, and we begin to talk about gratitude. One is, is realize the blessings that you have and be thankful for the blessings that you have. He says you're rich. So since we're rich, we tend to be self-sufficient, and we tend to be independent, and we tend to prefer preferential treatment. We, the rich, do. Real quiet. <laughs> he says, it's easier for a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle. What is the eye of a needle? It's a little tiny hole in a needle. You probably heard, heard that there was a gate in Jerusalem called the eye of the needle. And that a camel could go through that gate if it took off all of it, if you unburdened un it. And then it could kind of squeeze through that gate, crawling. And that is a great sermon illustration, but that's not true. There's no such gate called the eye of the needle. What's Jesus saying? He's saying a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And what, what's the reaction to that? It's impossible. It's impossible. You see, it's impossible to save yourself. It says, then it says that the disciples were astonished at the teaching. They said, then, you know, who can be saved? And Jesus said, with people this is impossible, with God all things are possible. Why are, they, why are the disciples astonished? Because in their theology, the rich are being rewarded for good lives. You ever read the book of Job? And in the book of Job, all of his friends are saying, the reason these bad things are happening to you is because you deserve them. You don't look like a sinner, and none of us can tell that you're a sinner, but you're getting what you deserve. And so you need to ask, you need to repent. And later we found out that God says, no, that's not the reason why these things happen to him. But the theology of the day and the theology that continued through Jesus' day and the theology that continues even through our day is that we believe that the rich are being rewarded for their good lives. Luke 13, 1. Now, on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. So, for some reason, Pilate killed some Galileans while they were in the temple offering sacrifices. Either they seemed to be creating, fomenting some kind of rebellion or causing some kind of problem, but they, they were killed. Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners 
than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate. That's the theology. They're suffering because of their sin. If you're not suffering, you're, you're not, you haven't sinned. The rich young ruler is thinking, I'm rich. I must be good with this. I've kept all of these rules. But the theology is then if, if I'm, I'm getting what I deserve, if I'm good, if I'm good, I'll get good things. I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. In other words, we all need to repent. He's basically saying, yeah, if you think you're going to save yourself, if you think your behavior is going to save you, you think these guys were bad and they need to be saved, if you think you're good and you don't need to be saved, you need to realize all of us, unless you all repent, you will all likewise perish. In other words, everybody needs to repent. Who needs to repent? Everybody. Who needs to repent of self-sufficiency? Everybody. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? So an accident had happened. So, you know, so people had died when a tower fell. And so the mentality of the day would have been these people died because they were sinners. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. We're, Jesus is saying, listen, you're all worthy. You're all worthy of the tower squishing you. You all need to repent. We all need to repent. You see, and there's, a, there's a theology then that this comes with all this rich young ruler and all of this. There's a theology that comes in this is that if we do good, we should get good. And we still believe this today. If you don't believe it, go to a funeral. Well... Uncle Bob was a good man. Now he's an angel in heaven, which is not true. People don't ever become angels. And, but, you know, you know, and Grandma's looking down from heaven on us. She's watching you right now. You, sometimes you want to say, not now, Grandma. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you, Jeremy, for getting that joke. Okay. So, that's, so you think about it. We still have that. We still live with that theology that good people get rewarded. So rich people expect good things to come. Bad people suffered. Good people were blessed. So we have to struggle with that. That is, that is prevailing theology that happens. Bad people suffer. Good people are blessed. If bad things are happening to you, you must be doing bad things. If good things are happening to you, you must be good. Jesus said, no, that's not true. Neither one of those is true. You're dependent upon the grace of God in every day of your life. You need to repent and ask for God's help and protection. Don't, don't, don't depend upon your own resources, your own goodness, your own wealth, your own independence, your own right to choose. Depend upon the grace and mercy of the God. Repent. Trust God. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. C.S. Lewis said it this way. The real problem is not why some pious, humble, believing people suffer, but why some do not. 
I mean, we shouldn't be surprised when people suffer. We should be so amazed when we're not. All right. The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom where children are treasured and precious. But Jesus called for them, saying, Permit the children to come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. So we have a principle of the kingdom of God. How do we receive the kingdom of God? We receive it like a child. How does a child receive things? What is a child like? Well, my rebellious pencil. Children love easily. They love easily. And so we need to be people who love easily. We need to be childlike in our ability to love other people. The, the law of Christ is to love one another as I have loved you. That's a, pretty high, that's a pretty high command, isn't it? Love one another as I have loved you. Jesus said, this is the law of Christ. Love one another as I have loved you. Children love easily. If we're going to be in the kingdom, we've got to learn to love easily. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but you're probably really good at criticizing I, I have a master's degree in it, maybe a doctorate. I'm really good at it. And it's easy to be a critic. That's why we do it, because it's easy. It's easy to be a critic. You know what's hard? It's hard to love people like Christ loved them. So children love easily. Children trust completely. I mean, you know, you can tell your kids, hey, tomorrow we're going to the zoo, and and then tomorrow you don't go to the zoo and you say, hey, we'll go next week. They say, okay. And then the next week you say, we can't go this week. We're going next week. They'll say, okay. And then the next week you say, we can't go to the zoo. They'll say, well, you said we go the last two weeks. I know, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're, but I, we just had this crazy stuff. We'll go next week. Okay. See, they trust easily. That's why, why people can take advantage of them, because they trust easily. We're always learning to trust God more. I feel like this is, the, this is the one lesson I've been learning my whole life. Do you trust me? Do you trust that I've got it all in control? Do you trust that I can handle this? Do you trust me even when you cannot see? You see, you know, because kids will say, you know, are we there yet? Because they, have no, they don't have a concept of the length of the journey. And they'll say, are we there yet when you're 15 minutes into an eight-hour trip? Guess what? You don't have any concept of the length of the journey. So we say to God, are we there yet? And he says, not yet. Well, when are we going to get there? When we get there. You're going to have to trust me. And so we're learning to trust him. We're always learning to trust him. Children readily forgive. They forgive easily. You know, they just do. I mean, children are, are this is one of the things that children shouldn't have to be resilient, but often, you know, adults can be real jerks. Right? Tina said, because she lives with me, it was easy for her to say amen to that. Uh, adults can be real jerks. And so children, they, they forgive easily and, and quickly. And we need, to, we need to be like that. 
Life is full of disappointments and hurts and betrayals and all kinds of things. And if you live bogged down by all of those things, you will live a miserable existence, living bound to the things of the past where you got hurt. And I, you know, I don't want to burst your bubble, but there's more coming. <laughs> right? So you, 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 you need to live in forgiveness. You need to live forgiving as he forgave us. We're supposed to forgive as he forgave. Love as he loved. How did he forgive? Completely. Oh, man, I'm running out of time. I've got to go. Okay. Sorry, I couldn't get my screen to move. It's frustrating. There's a, there's a, there's a symbol that comes up while I'm talking, and I have no idea what's going on. But it asks me, cancel or undo? I don't even know what I've done. And so I always have to think, which, because I, I don't want my screen to go away. So I'm thinking, which of, which of these buttons do I want to touch? Because I don't know what I've done that has caused cancel or undo to come up. And kind of cancel and undo kind of seem like the same thing. So when you see me with that look like, that's what it is. The kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. Uh, I'm trying to see how much more I got left because it's, it's time. I got to quit. Okay. So I don't, have a good, I don't have a good ending spot here. So let's think about how God wants us to live in the kingdom. And really, how the New Testament church, how they made a difference, they were just trying to follow Jesus. And they were, they were doing the stuff. They weren't going out saying, y'all need to do, hey, y'all need to do the stuff. You, you, you homosexuals need to stop being homosexuals. Y'all, y'all cut that out. Stop, stop that. Hey, are y'all having fun over there? Stop it. Right? Instead, they were, they, they were, they were just, they were trying with all of their heart to do what they believed God had called them to do. And in doing that, they turned the world upside down. So, just do that. Let's stand and pray. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you for being with us. We want to, we want to live in an upside-down kingdom. We will live in a kingdom where we're not living by what we, what we deserve and what we earn, but what we've received by grace. We realize it's not because we did it, because what, of what Jesus did. And we pray you would be with us today and help us, help us to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.